When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So today I want to take some time to do what some would say would would be raining on some people's uh, Memorial Day parade, even though there may not be a whole lot of parades going on this Memorial Day. Um, What I want to do is, is really put to rest this myth, this notion that that the economy is getting back to normal right now. Now, I can't definitively make a couple statements, namely that, you know, a month from now, it won't be back to normal. Um, I I can't definitively say that a year from now won't be back to normal. I can't definitively say that the data that I'm showing that that I'll be talking about today is perfect and and does not include a lag. It, It does. I don't know the exact lag. I'm sure it depends on the data point, maybe a week, maybe two weeks. But as a whole, what this data shows, and it is overwhelming, it overwhelmingly shows that the economy has not opened up fully at all, nowhere close, that economic activity, um, mobility is, is just a fraction of what it usually is this time of year. And, you know, despite all these, these images that we might see of, you know, people in giant, you know, pool parties or, or whatever in, you know, maybe sometimes southern states, maybe because they're warmer, although, you know, up north it's been getting warmer, which is nice. But, but maybe it's because it's warmer down there. Maybe it's because of their, their perception or their laws or whatever. Uh, but that that is not really representative of, of the U.S. or the global economy opening up again. And I think we have to understand, you know, this idea of duration. If you close down the entire global economy for one day, yeah, there's going to be some repercussions to that, or at least whatever you want to call what we're doing. You know, we, we haven't shut down the entire economy, but most of it. There's going to be repercussions for that. But the durations, you know, it's, it's not going to be that big of a deal, right? Close it down for a week. Now we're talking, you know, maybe there's going to be some disruptions, certainly to supply chains and, and shipping, etc., shut down for a month, well, you know, that's that's kind of where we were in mid, you know, to late April. I'd say, you know, the real shutdown started around mid-March from my recollection, mid to, to the second half of March. So mid to second half of April or one month. Well, we're in the second half of May now. We're basically at two months. Though some things are opening up again, again, this data is showing that the economy is not. And yes, there is some lag in this, but not, you know, a month or something like that. Right, so now we're talking about a two-month shutdown that, in some places, is likely to last into a, a third month, and even after that, we um, we should be skeptical that a people are going to willingly go back into public and, and do public events and and whatnot as they did before. You know, whether that's sporting events when those eventually uh, start happening again and uh, allow fans in the the stadiums. Or, um, you know, the, the movie theater or restaurants or shopping malls, etc. Um, so we shouldn't assume that that's going to happen. Uh, B, we, sh- we should also not assume that people are going to be in a good financial position to do so. So anyways, I want to get into this data. By the way, 
This is all uh, sort of put together by, um, it was over an article in Zero Hedge has actually from some of JP Morgan's uh, work on the topic. And, and where a lot of this data comes from is um, things like, like uh, Google mobility trackers and whatnot. And, and they all showed as a graph. So, so maybe I'll link that article if I can find it again down below in the description of this, um, of this video and this podcast. Um, but real quickly, I want to start off. First of all, you, you know, they split up by regions, just mobility, which again should be a decent indicator of, of economic activity. Yes, people are working at home. But, but as a whole, you know, if you look at the different regions around the world, the U.S., the Europe, uh, the Europe, the U.S., Europe, uh, and Asia of those three regions, you know, the one that has gotten the you know closest back to, I guess, normal would be Asia, and, and a lot of that's China and, and Japan and South Korea who weren't hit as bad. But as a whole, their mobility is still not even forty percent of normal. The rest of us. Europe, the UK, the United States, we're still all under, you know, 20%, right? That's still, you know, and there's not a huge lag in this data, right? If you look at, you know, each city, you know, major cities around the world in terms of traffic congestion, which should be, again, a good indicator of economic activity, there's a few getting pretty darn close back to normal. Namely, they have Frankfurt, Munich, Hamburg, Berlin, all above 80%. 80% of normal. That's a market improvement relative to, um, you know, I, I think it was like two weeks before they have two sets of data here. And again, I'm, you know, you can view this article yourself and you can, you know, view it while you're listening as sort of a slide deck or something. But the rest, you know, if you look at Paris, 58%, Madrid, 50%, London, 48%, Tokyo, 38%. Seattle, 37. Beijing, 33. Chicago, 33. LA, 31. New York, 25. Wuhan, 24. Uh, Mumbai, 7% of its normal in terms of traffic congestion. That's nuts, right? That's a, and, I'm, and there's no way I'm going to get through all these in a timely um, timely manner. All these charts, they're, they're really a wealth of data that really, though, again, show overwhelmingly the economy is nowhere near back to normal or opened up how about new york subway ridership on average you know the seven day moving average is is you know in the ballpark of you know four to four and a half million this time of year currently less than a million things aren't open back up again um let's see here we also have uh, more um, mobility indexes uh, some of these are for Europe, based on uh, what people are doing. Um, they divide up different sectors of the economy, I guess, or, or activities. They divide up into retail and recreation, parks, workplaces, grocery and, and pharmacy, transit stations, residential. And overwhelmingly, all of them are well below normal. Getting closer to normal, but still not there. Still 20% or more less than normal in, in many of these um, in many of these uh, countries with the exception of UK the UK is getting back to normal in some senses and, and parts of Western Europe but as a whole still you know things have not opened up fully again we're still only even by those measures still 20 at least 20 percent you know closed or you know 20 percent less activity compared to usual how about flights global flights you um, 
non-commercial flights, you think, you know, cargo and whatnot, is, is recovering better than commercial flights. In fact, you know, they are, you know, on average, we're talking, you know, 70 million, um, or sorry, uh, 70,000 commercial, or sorry, non-commercial flights um, on average. And they're getting up there, you know, they're getting past, you know, maybe 50, maybe, maybe getting close to 60. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You know, between 55 and 60,000 commercial flights. So rebounding. But non-commercial flights, you know, you might be looking at closer to like 100, uh, I'd say like a million, you know, flights, seven-day moving average right now. Um, instead, it's closer to like 30, uh, sorry, sorry 100,000 normally, uh, closer to like 30,000 right now. You know, just a third maybe of, of what's the, what the normal would be, right? Globally, the amount of scheduled flights normally we'd be looking at, you know, this, again, slightly lagging data. This is from maybe a week or two ago. But normally we'd be looking at somewhere in the ballpark of, of 800 to 900,000. Instead, we're looking at closer to 300 to 400,000, Right. And you wonder why airlines and and resorts and and et cetera are are suffering. And 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 you know as a whole, there hasn't really been a whole lot of areas that have opened up yet, right? Here in the United States, um, major airports haven't really gotten back to normal. Many of them are still operating. You know, if you look at something like New York, Laguardia, and and Newark, we're still we're still talking like you know maybe ten percent of normal. For those airports, right? Other ones are doing better. Seattle, you know, maybe fifty percent of normal, but still a small fraction of what's what's sort of normal. I mean, it's going to take a long time to open things up, and I'm not convinced it's going to get back to one hundred percent. Maybe even a year from now, right? Because of the economic impact and because of maybe some fears about a virus. Um, let's see here. What else do they have in terms of of data? Um, credit and and debit card um, spending, you know, on groceries and on on pharmacy products. You know, you had a huge spike around that period of lockdowns, or, you know, second half of March. But as a whole, you see aggregate spending here in the United States through credit and debit cards, you know, 20, 30% of normal, right? And so despite the fact that people may be shopping online a fair bit and stuff, you know, there still are a ton of shops that people would probably normally love to shop at, retail centers, malls, etc., that they can't. And, you know, you add on potentially being out of work, financial concerns, you get aggregate spending 20 to 30%. But then you look at other things like airlines and hotels, um, you know, only like 20% of normal, you know, 80% drop. 90% drop for some of those. Um, and again, that's somewhat lagging data, a couple weeks on that one, but still massive drop, right? Um, restaurant bookings just fell off a cliff and, and they're, they're still, you know, restaurants aren't really opening up in most major cities yet. 
right? They're, they're still far, far below normal. In terms of year-over-year restaurant bookings globally, they're down about 95%, some of the most recent data. 90, 95%, right? Most, most restaurants haven't opened up in most places. Consumer spending year-over-year. There's like a few bright spots that are above 100%. On, on this chart that, that goes from the 10th of May all the way back to the 15th of March. Um, if you want to know what they are, they are, well, video games, honestly. For two weeks, video games were, were higher than usual. Otherwise, you know, most of it is is less than usual. Or, sorry, my, my mistake. Um, they do actually have negative and positive. Okay, so there's there's some that actually increased. Sorry, that that would have been even I thought that was a little bit. There's got to be more than just video games that people spent more money on. There's some that did increase year over year, um, namely uh, groceries, um, wholesale clubs, drug stores and pharmacies, variety stores, a lot of those. Um, and yes, video games and liquor liquor sales actually did fairly fine. However, airlines. Um, lodging, uh, movie theaters, bars, amusement parks, commercial sports and athletic fields, tourist attractions, uh, restaurants, fast food restaurants, all of those um, basically down. And, and, and in some cases, you know, if you look at like movie theaters, down 99% year over year. So basically none because there's basically no movie theaters that are open right now. Um, moving on, you can look at you know, retail uh, traffic uh, by uh, by region by country and again we're we're still talking um, just a small fraction now again some of this data is a couple weeks old I know where I am retail stores you know my local mall has opened up in Minnesota by the way um, but but as a whole it's still not you know if I went there maybe there'd be that initial surge of people that have just been itching to get to the mall but as a whole it's not um, it's not back to normal. Things are far from it. I, I almost can guarantee you that if this data was released a month from now, after more things have opened up, you'd still find that most things are well below normal. And, and yeah, you there'd be few that maybe it would be above normal because people haven't been able to do it for a while. And there'd be people out there on CNBC saying, look, you know, look at this piece of data. And that's why, you know, that should justify a new bull run in the stock market or, or higher valuations. But as a whole, this is overwhelmingly showing that after two months, roughly, of lockdown, um, the U.S. is is not suddenly opened back up again. Job openings by country. You can do. Um, you can let's look at this. This is indexed to one hundred. Uh, you know, one hundred being the normal at the beginning of the year, and beginning again around you know March. You see them start to really drop off. Um, pretty significantly down to, you know, 70%, 80%, 60% of normal job openings by country, you know, on and on. You can look at all these charts, by the way. And again, I'm, I'm going to post it down below in the, 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 um, in the, the description. And it's, it's just, um, it's abysmal. How about industrial, you know, industrial production, Gosh, this is terrible. Capacity utilization for U.S. steel factories. You know, not that long ago, you know, beginning of the year, it was around 80%, 80 to 85%. Currently, or at least from when this data last was published, 
between 50 and 55 percent. That's a it's a massive drop off. U.S. local, um, let's see here, U.S. daily electricity consumption is still, you know, significantly below normal. You know, generally, uh, this this is in megawatt hours. Um, generally, this time of year, heading into summer, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, 420 maybe megawatt hours. Instead, you're we're, we're closer to like 390. You know, just just significantly below normal. You know, below the average for the past few years, right? And that's not just a climate thing. That's not just no. That's that's um. It's a slowdown that still hasn't, you know, gotten back to normal yet. And I know this is all redundant, and and I encourage you to read through this more and more. And and I realize I'm, you know, I don't know how long I've been talking about these charts here, but basically, you know, the gist of it here is is that things are not opened up yet. You know, despite the fact that you see a you know a, a resort here or a, a beach party there or people going to the beach or whatever, like it's great that people are going to the beach and all. But that is not an economically, really, I think, rich activity. That's not going to open up the entire economy again or something like that or get a whole lot of people back to work besides maybe some lifeguards and, uh, you know, people working on a hot dog stand. Things just are not near back to normal yet. And we move back into this conversation of duration. The duration of a lockdown and how ultimately that leads to loss of revenue, increase in debt. I mean, ultimately, what it stems from is this loss of, of well, product, productivity, right? That and, you know, in, in the case of these businesses, a lack of revenue and ability to, you know, service debt. Lack of revenue for individuals as well. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Consumers, and the ability for them to service their debt, as well as, you know, a government to, to service their debt. You know, that's, that's kind of the problem that we're running into here. And, and and the crazy thing is, is that it was, you know, back at, what, the end of March, probably, when the CARES Act was pushed through, the stimulus bill, you know, um, I think that might have been the first round, possibly, somebody correct me, on the on the Paycheck Protection Program, etc. Um, but that was back then, and, and again, we're about a month and a half from, you know, a month and a half out from that, more than that, and... As a whole, you know, things have not opened up with the exception of some states, you know, but, but economic activity is still far below normal. And, and you wonder how much longer it's going to take for something else like that to happen. More stimulus. And it's not just going to be the United States, you know, Europe as well, Japan, you know, South Korea. However, you know, one thing that was interesting that I, that I saw recently, again, article over on Zero Hedge, um, is, is China and their really their reluctance thus far to inject you know stimulus into their economy and and this article lays it out pretty well. It's basically because China doesn't have a whole lot of room to maneuver. They have you know their debt to GDP in their broader economy is north of three hundred percent, and that's a result of them just well really stimulating the economy at at, at every turn. 
and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they're realizing this time around that, hey, if every other economy in the world is just suffering terribly and, and maybe, you know, China can get a bit of the jump of jump on the rest of the world because they were hit first by this pandemic and they're opening up more right now compared to, you know, Italy or the United States or the UK or what have you, then maybe they're going to do fine without as much stimulus. However, what's important to understand is that China was, you know, back in the Great Recession, they were kind of the country that pulled the rest of the world out of that recession. They were, you know, the growth in China was really what skewed global economic data to a much more positive level for the past, you know, 10 years. Remove China or just remove China's stimulus and, and credit growth from the equation and you get a much different picture. You get maybe a much what would be viewed as a much less effective stimulus program by by like literally everyone else in the world, Bank of Japan, the the Federal Reserve, the U.S. government, the the European Central Bank, all of that would look like it had just been an utter failure, and and yet they had this you know assistance basically from China, and and look, China, they did well, I guess, but but at the cost of racking up a ton of debt, and now they're showing a reluctance to. Um, to, to continue to rack up more debt. Again, this article shows that uh, as of March 31st, you know, the end of the first quarter, debt to GDP was at 317%, up 17% in just a quarter. Double, nearly double what it was in 2008. Right, that's not sustainable. 17% increase in a quarter. They could see potentially another 10% increase in the second quarter, which might not be as bad for them as the first quarter. That's a that's a lot of debt, and and a lot of it's you know corporates, corporate debt, some household, some government, some financial sector, but you know the way that the Chinese government, Chinese society, Chinese economy is is, is structured, is that to some extent you know if if the government ever wants to prevent a debt collapse, they've shown in the past that they're willing to basically add that to their own balance sheets. Right, and so when you look at it, you say, "Well, yeah, but their government debt to GDP is pretty low." Well, you have to understand that that that's not the only number that matters, right? And and in terms of you know their overall economic growth, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter a whole lot if we're talking about household debt or corporate debt or government debt, um, maybe to some extent financial sector debt. You know, it's all debt that needs to be serviced. It's all debt that that acts as a drain on the economy. Right, and we're you know we really cannot count on China as as the next um, you know stimulus for the global economy. You know to to add to this story, this morning Memorial Day, which if if I remember correctly, you know markets aren't going to be open here in the United States. In China, overnight they um, fixed their their yuan, which it's it's like a you know they fix it on you know basically a daily basis. and and what they did is they set it at its uh, this is relative to the U.S. dollar at its weakest level since two thousand eight, right seven point one two oh nine. And you know it's for 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 x relative to, to like something like the stock market, precious metals, bonds. You know 
Um, that seems like a small move if, if you've been following, you know, the line in the sand for the longest time for the Chinese yuan was 7 to 1. Well, I mean, it's gone above 7 to 1 multiple times in the past year plus, right? But this move up, which was was only, you know, slightly weaker than than Friday. The Friday fix was 7.0939, so... 7.0939 to 7.1209 it's it's an increase of of like what less than 0.03 and yet it's it's significant i think china knows and many individuals know that china because of the debt picture that they're in likely will have to continue to do what they've done over the past um you know 5 6 years and that is you know move in this this direction of of steady devaluation of their yuan because of course when you devalue a currency you you take some pressure off in terms of debt sometimes it depends on what you know so so if this is mostly yuan dominated debt then yeah they take pressure off it's it's the same thing that that like same concept as if you owe somebody a hundred thousand dollars but then you know, in one year, you know, the dollar is inflated by 10%. Well, you may still owe them $100,000, maybe even plus interest, but that $100,000 is really worth less because, you know, it's lost purchasing power. It's lost value because of inflation, because it's been devalued. The same thing is true for any other currency, in this case, the yuan. Now, you know, depending on China's dollar debt, that can also create issues. If they're devaluating their currency rapidly and significantly relative to the dollar and they have lots of dollar-denominated debt in their economy, that's a problem. Because now you have all these companies that are getting revenue in the in, in their native currency, yuan, but then trying to service debt in dollar terms. But what they're bringing in is less and less relative to that dollar because of this devaluation. And that's, you know, that's a problem that we've seen um, happen in in turkey and and south africa and and brazil and argentina to some extent you know this fear of you know too much dollar denominated debt this massive devaluation of these currencies relative to the dollar um i'm I'm not really convinced that that's going to be a huge problem for china i think i I guess i don't know how i have all the data exactly and how much of their debt is dollar denominated versus um Versus, you know, yuan or yen or whatever denominated currency. Uh, but it, it's not, I don't see it as being as much of a problem for them. Not to mention, you know, right now they don't really have, to my knowledge, uh, much of a shortage of dollars in, in order to, to, you know, pay that debt. But it does show devaluation of the yuan is, is likely to continue to occur over the next, you know, couple months. Which could, you know, really add to this, this, this really shaky picture. And that's a, that's a, that's an overly optimistic statement, maybe. But the shaky picture for the global economy, as it tries to reopen again, you know, throw on top of that, you know, the second largest economy in the world really being absent from this this stimulus picture, um, as well as devaluing their currency, right? So, so just this is all really a reminder for you. This plus everything I talked about in terms of the economy not opening up and whatnot, a reminder that even though, you know, you may have seen on CNN, maybe not you, I don't know how many of you guys watch CNN, but 
maybe you guys saw a picture of a whole bunch of people at a beach having fun or at a pool party or, or, or at a bar or a restaurant. Or, okay. But the data will show, I guarantee you, the data from a week or two would show, has shown, last week, two weeks, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, the economy is nowhere near opening up again. And it will show that, you know, in retrospect, when we have the data from today, from Memorial Weekend, from these, you know, this time period, the economy is still nowhere near normal. And, and what that means is that we are in for a very interesting summer. I'm, t- I'm talking not just equities, not just the stock market, but, but broadly speaking, in the economic and financial system, a, a significant return of, of volatility, right? This duration of this shutdown is continuing to you know, persist. Each day it persists. We're, we're further disrupting you know, this economic and this financial system. And, and the repercussions of that in the form of bankruptcies and defaults and, and, and margin calls and spikes in volatility and, and all of those things are only going to continue. And, and yes, the federal government and the Federal Reserve are going to be there at every step to, to backstop potentially any market that needs assistance. And that's, you know, again, leads me back to, to what I so often talk about precious metals as being, you know, the way to, to protect yourself because we know that, you know, in order to backstop these markets, the Fed the U.S. government, they're more than willing to sacrifice, in, in many cases, much like what China's doing, to value their own currency in order to, to backstop all of these other markets, to try and, and maintain some, some order, some, some semblance of, of order in the financial and the, the economic system. So as always, I, I hope you check out this article that I referenced prior with all the charts and whatnot. I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless.